it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio for the episode of Hot Takes with TP3. Once again, I am your host, Thomas Penland, joined by none other than Ben Gorwitz on Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Ben, you ready for Super Bowl week, man? Yeah, man. NBA trade deadline, Super Bowl all happened this week. Kind of crazy, hectic week for uh, sports media. Oh, yeah. It's a big time week, guys. So y'all know we're going to have to get y'all at least two podcasts out there today. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about NBA trades. We're going to talk about NFL coaching hires, and we're going to give you all a little Super Bowl preview. And then we're going to come back to y'all again on Thursday, and we'll talk about what what ends up happening and rounding out the NBA trade deadline. I think we might have already seen the biggest trade we're going to see happen. And also, too, on top of all that, we're going to give you all our breakdown of the Super Bowl game. We're talking our bet, our sides, props, totals, all that stuff. So big time podcast on Thursday, guys. That's the one you're going to want to listen to. We're going to give you all our betting advice, everything for this year's Super Bowl. Ben, let's get down to it, man. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. I don't think we've had a podcast this loaded up in a long, long time. So obviously, guys, we're going to talk about football in the first half and speculate about NBA trades second half. Well, two of the topics I had on here is will the Pelicans make the trade and will the Kings do something? Well, both those things happen to happen today, Ben. So let's talk about it. We'll talk about the first one. The Pacers in the Kings make a humongous trade, one that has had a lot of people talking back and forth about it on Twitter. Ben and I are about to make some sense of it for you guys. So the trade involved two key players and Tyrese Halliburton and DeMontis Sabonis, but bigger, bigger total overall. The trade includes the Kings getting DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Justin Holiday, while the Pacers get Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. Ben, initial thoughts from you? I mean, I, I just think it's a one-way trade. I think the Pacers won this trade. I, I don't understand getting rid of a player like Halliburton, at least this early in his career, when he's put up really, really, really good numbers. Mm-hmm. He's also he's also been willing uh, to make the changes to help the Kings in the organization. I, like, there was an interview that came out today, kind of resurfaced, him saying, like, I know they've had a bad pass, but I'm here to to make the necessary changes. And they haven't had a lot of players that have will- that have been willing to buy in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, De'Aaron Fox, you can include him because he did sign. Did he sign that max or was it super max? He signed a max. Yeah, He's not Fox. eligible for a super a max. max. Okay. Um, so, obviously, he signed a max contract to stay around. So, I mean, he's shown his loyalty. But, uh, listen, they – I remember the pre-draft, the – the Kings were really, really high on Halliburton. He fell into their lap, and then he's putting up great numbers, and they are just willing to get rid of him. Now, obviously, they do get a good and all-star big in Sabonis uh, in return, which they've struggled with bigs. They've drafted a couple bigs in recent NBA drafts. I remember Thomas Robinson from Kansas was a big bust for them. Marvin Bagley's been a disaster for them. Um, I even think someone else they drafted. I can't think of the other guy. Yeah, Marvin, by the way, Marvin Bagley hurts the most because you had Trey Young, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Luka Doncic all picked after him, just to name a few guys. There's tons of other talented guys in that draft class too. And, and listen, Buddy Hill was a little bit of a pain uh, in the Kings. He had kind of, like his, his name's been floated in train rumors for at least two years now. I just think the Pacers get a, a volume shooter, a really good shooter in uh, – Buddy Heald, we've seen him compete. I even think he's won a three-point contest um, at the All-Star game before. And you get Tyrese Halliburton. He's just a stud guard. He looks like he's going to be great in the future. I know the Kings, they had the three-guard rotation when they also drafted Davion Mitchell. So they still have some two good guards. But that's not a player that I would be willing to just get rid of this early. I know that you're getting an All-Star big in return. You know, I texted you the other day. It was about – 
football. It was about the Texans, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. the Texans in our, in, our, in our next segment here. But I said bad organizations stay bad because they make bad decisions. And it's, it's a very easy saying to follow, and it, it always rings true. The organizations in sports that have been bad for years and years and years, look at the decisions they've made. The Kings, since I've been alive, which was 1998, you can count the Kings' good decisions on one hand, and you probably don't need all five fingers to do it. Like, they just make terrible decision after terrible decision. And, you know, a lot of it is on their GM and the way they draft, and I'm sure they've had multiple GMs, but it's also in their player development. Like, they don't they don't develop any of these mm-hmm. guys, it seems like. Yeah, the only good big man that they did draft is DeMarcus Cousins, but they ended up having to trade him because they could not keep him happy. Um, you know, Ben, I think it's definitely easy to bash the Kings here. Look, I completely agree with you. I think Tyrese Halliburton's extremely talented. I, I, let's put it this way. I would not trade Tyrese Halliburton. I would not have traded him. But at the same time, Sabonis is a beast, man. I mean, Sabonis, in my opinion, he's top 25 player in the league, borderline top 20 player in the league. And the fact that you can pair him with De'Aaron Fox. Look, I know De'Aaron Fox is not having a good season, and he didn't play that well at towards the end of last year either. I know he's kind of taken a step back in the player we thought he had. You know, he was on – he looks like he was bound to be an all-star guard and one of the better point guards in the league. I think he's really dropped off a little bit, but – also, too, I don't know exactly if, if Sacramento's got him that much help. I think getting Buddy Heald and his massive contract out of there was definitely a plus for him because, quite frankly, they had a logjam at guard. You still have a young guard in Davion Mitchell you can develop and bring along. I, I don't love it. I'm not going to say I love the trade, but at the same time, man, bringing in Sabonis, I think, changes things a lot. Rashawn Holmes is decent in the paint, but Sabonis is a beast. He can pass the ball. He can score the ball. He can do everything. He averaged a triple-double the last month of the season last year and willed the, the players to two play-in games where they ended up getting bounced by the Wizards in the final one. But I'm not going to say that the Kings – I'm not going to say it's a terrible trade. Look, the Kings haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. They're definitely trying to make a push to get in, get in there in the back half of the Western Conference. They sit one game out of the playing game, and honestly, I think they have a better roster than the Pelicans do at this point. We'll get to the Pelicans in the in a minute. I'm actually going to just, going to absolutely destroy them here in a second. I think they're a bunch of fools, but I don't think it's the worst trade ever for the Kings. And when you look at things on the flip side of things for the Pacers, I think the Pacers got it got a A plus plus in my opinion for this trade. I mean, giving up Sabonis is not an ideal a player a player that good, but the Pacers have flirted around with being a fringe, you know, three to six seed in the playoffs now, a fringe playoff team, you know, for long enough. It was time to blow it up. And the fact that you can get a guy like Halliburton, I mean, he's the cornerstone you want to build your franchise around. Him and Duarte are two solid pieces to build around. You can now play Miles Turner at the five and not really have that two big man thing that kind of ruins everything. So, if anything, I think the Pacers did a good job acquiring assets. Apparently, the Pacers are, and I saw, I can't remember who I saw them link to, but they're basically looking to make another trade for another young guy. So, I mean, I like what the Pacers are doing from there and from the Kings. I'm going to say I do like what they're doing. I still think Fox can play better basketball. And if you can get Fox to get moving in the right direction again, the fact you can pair him and, and uh, Sabonis together, I think is a great pairing moving forward. But definitely, it definitely is. Let's put it this way. It's not great giving up Halliburton, but I definitely don't think they necessarily gave him up for nothing. The Pacers, uh, uh, you know, front office, I, I, I can't remember if they switched GMs over the years, but. They took Paul George when he wanted out. They got Oladipo and Sabonis. Yeah. Those were two very good players for them. They then turned Oladipo into Karis LeVert, who's uh, been a very good player. He is now on the Cavs. Yep. Uh, and they turned Sabonis into Buddy Hield and, and Halliburton. So they've done fairly successful in trades. And you and I have talked about for a couple of years now how they're just too damn big. 
Like when they get in the playoffs, like it's it's just it's a guards league. Yeah. You know, it's, it really it really has been the past couple of years. Guards have taken over, and you know unless you have like a dominant dominant big man and, and Sabonis, I think he's a back to back two time All Star. Um, I know that doesn't really mean anything, but he did win the skills competition in the All Star game. <laughs> yeah. just, I, the only reason I bring that up is just proving that he can handle the ball. He can pass the ball. Like I'm not saying like that competition does anything. It's just the fact that he mm-hmm. can showcase his passing and dribbling skills. He He's a do-it-all big man, but the Pacers have been too big for a long time, and they're trying to go more guard-friendly. They yeah. have Malcolm Brogdon, Brogdon, too, don't they? Yeah, they still do have Brogdon. I yeah. can see Brogdon so getting – really They got some really good guards mm-hmm. currently on their roster, and I think they signed Brogdon to an extension not that long ago. So we'll see if he stays or if they try to get cheaper in salary as well with some young guards. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Brogdon. I definitely think, see, if Brogdon wasn't injured, I think there'd be a lot of teams gunning for him right now, and I think you could get some good value back for him. I don't know how much his value is right now. Wouldn't be shocked, though, to see him get moved. Also, too, I mean, Sabonis is no slouch, man. He averaged 20 – last year he's averaging 26.7 assists and 12 rebounds. This year, 12-point run rebounds, 5 assists, 18.9 points per game. So, Sabonis is definitely no slouch, like you were saying, man. This guy's a this guy's an absolute baller. That's why I can't hate on the Kings side that much for getting him. I think he is a nice piece, and he'll compliment Fox very well. I think that just basically shows you who the Kings are committed to long-term. Can't blame them, though. They're probably tired of all the losing, and they have plenty of young guys that they should be bringing along as well anyway. Let's talk about things now from for our next big-time trade that happened today, and we'll get to the Cavs trade last. Next trade up here, we have the New Orleans Pelicans and the Portland Trailblazers Ben, I guess think it was about I think it was probably back in like November, December. It was our first NBA talk topic we talked about. And I talked about how the Blazers needed to break up the backcourt. We've talked I've talked to been talking about it for years now. It's finally happened today. I cannot believe it. The Pelicans get CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. The Blazers get Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander Walker. I don't even know who this other guy is, a first round pick and two and two second round picks. Let's talk about this here from both teams' perspective. First, let's talk about the Pelicans here, and then we'll get to the Blazers. For the Pelicans, I want to say they won by bringing in another guy and showing Zion that they're committed to winning here, but I can't say that, honestly. I'd be lying. Pelicans are idiots. Zion's not committed to them. Exactly. Well, not even on top of that. You had Drew Holiday, and you had Lonzo Ball. You let Lonzo Ball walk for nothing. For absolutely freaking nothing, you let Lonzo Ball walk. That is inexcusable to begin with. Then on top of that, you let you let Drew you trade away Drew Holiday. All you had to do was keep both of them around and think about it. You have Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Zion and Valanciunas. That's a team right there you can win with. I mean, I, there is no way on this earth that I'm going to say CJ McCollum's better than CJ McCollum's dealing with back issues. Who knows how many games he's even going to be out there for? He's definitely a good player. They still don't have a real point guard, Devontae. Graham is not a real point guard and neither is CJ McCollum those guys are off ball scoring guards and neither of them play any defense pairing them together is basically like having a lesser version of Damian Lillard and uh and CJ McCollum I mean David Griffin's an idiot man he does not he this is the same guy who traded two first round picks for Timothy Mozgov when he was in Cleveland David Griffin's entire career is made off of having LeBron there and he is an absolute idiot thought this was terrible yeah, and obviously McCollum is a lot more expensive of a player than a guy like Josh Hart. So, I mean, taking on more money and, like, I just don't know. I mean, like, I don't know how this makes them any better. The only thing that I'll say on the other side of that is 
there are some players in sports that when they move organizations, get mm-hmm. better, get different voices in their head, it can turn the career around. Maybe the maybe whatever Chicago did, because I remember when Lonzo went to Chicago, they changed his shooting form again, which was the third time since he changed uh, came into the league that someone tried to change his form. Because uh, I remember when the Lakers drafted him, they tried to change him, and then he went to the Pelicans. He was, like, doing this funky motion. Everyone was like, well, that looks weird. And then when he finally started playing, it looked better, and it still wasn't great. And now he's, I would say, now he's a pretty good shooter for the Bulls. It's or He's on the Bulls, right? Yeah, he's on the Bulls. He's long time long. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, and so maybe, maybe it just wasn't working out in New Orleans for him. I just don't understand. I mean, here's the thing. I, I respect teams like the Kings and Pelicans for – going for it because they have not been in the playoffs very often. Mm-hmm. My only thing is, why are you taking on more money to play the Phoenix Suns or the Golden State Warriors in the first round? You know, yep. that, that's where I draw the line teams. of... That's what I'm saying. And, 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 like, I get it. It's great to make the playoffs, and I'm... Uh, you know, I always say, like, listen, bad teams, you have to learn how to win first. That's fine, which I've always believed that. But taking on more money, and CJ McCollum's contract is a lot more than Josh Hart. Huge. Just to get swept if you get out of the playing round, because the Pelicans aren't going to be a seven or uh, 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 better than the nine seed. They're, if they're in the playoffs, they're playing in the playing game. If they get out of that, they're playing the Golden State Warriors, Memphis Grizzlies, the Dallas Mavericks, or the Phoenix Suns, whoever is going to be the one or two seed. And honestly, I don't even see them winning a game. I mean, maybe if Zion's there, then he can obviously, you're getting a double double out of him because when he was playing, he was, he was scoring easily. I just, I don't understand taking on more money to get swept in the first round. Yeah, I don't think we're seeing Zion this season. He hasn't even returned to practice. He's not even participating in five-on-five drills. So He's not even in the state of Louisiana. Exactly. The last update update that was given, he's in Portland uh, rehabbing. Exactly. We're not going to see Zion this year, let's be honest. There's no way we're going to see him. This is a build for – I mean, this is a kind of, you know, try to get that playing game. Because, I mean, they're technically still there. The Western Conference has nine – strong i mean i would say eight strong teams and after that it's whatever i mean the clippers are in one of those top spots i mean let's be honest though i think the the lakers without without paul george and Kawhi, it's tough yeah the lakers and timberwolves will defeat these teams in the play-in game no matter who's there it's lebron will definitely get his team in the playoffs and the nba is going to want to see them in there regardless so you know i i think it was a dumb trade on the flip side of things for the blazers what the Blazers are trying to do now is they're trying to get rid of, I mean, we saw them trade. We saw them do that trade with the Clippers where they acquired first round picks, young talent. They ate Bledsoe's salary. Basically what they're trying to do is free up salary so they can basically build a new team around Damian Lillard, which is not a terrible idea. They're just acquiring He's assets. Loyal. And He's shown loyalty. Mm-hmm. And they want to go after Jeremy Grant is one of the guys they can get to build around him. I think Jeremy Grant would be a solid fit for them. I think now they have the first round picks or the draft capital, as they like to call it, to go out and get a guy like Jeremy Grant. I mean, the Blazers have completely punted on this season. I mean, you'd like to get more for C.J. McCollum, but at the same time, if you can go out and flip what you got into Jeremy Grant, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think they did pretty good for C.J. McCollum. C.J. McCollum has never looked like a one on a team. If anything, he's He's a two, and since he's been injured the last couple of seasons, he might be a, just a really good three option. So I mm-hmm. think they did good. Plus, I think I saw that they're now under the luxury tax. So yep. that, that's huge for small markets. If you're not competing, stay under the luxury tax. 
No, I agree with you completely. I thought Portland did it right. Like you said, they got into the luxury tax, and now they have flexibility to go do stuff next offseason. They offloaded almost all that. I wouldn't be shocked to see Nurkic get shipped out as well. That's, that's what I was going to – I was just my dad then. I mean, he – listen, he's a solid big, but he's also very replaceable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, th- I think that bringing in Jeremy Grant would be a solid move for them. They're definitely going to do make a couple more moves. And Sierra Little has been playing good basketball, too, although he is out for the season now. And Anthony Simons has emerged. I think Anthony Simons can be a solid guard to play next to uh, Dame. You know, he was in the draft. I said, I felt like it's he was just kind a of small. That's a small backcourt if they're playing next to each other. That's the only thing. Yeah, it is kind of the same thing as Dame and CJ. If anything, Simons can be your sixth man, even, you know, so. I like what they're doing here. I like what Portland did, honestly. Getting rid of C.J. McCollum was long overdue, and they finally offloaded him. Now we'll see what they can flip things into. Um, last trade up here we're going to talk about before you think they, they had uh, to get Lillard. You think they had to get Lillard's permission? Or do you think um, they asked no, I don't think they did. I think they also have an intern GM, so I don't know if he asked him or not. But regardless, I think Dame's good with whatever. You know, Dame, let's put it this way. They definitely told Dame that they're probably looking to make some moves and they're going to offload a lot of salary and whatnot. And they're trying to bring him in. He's, and earned, the right, he's earned the right. He's earned the right to be in the conversation and to have his opinion heard. No, now that I do agree with you with. See, I, I don't I don't think necessarily that they that they asked him, but I think that they definitely said, look, we're gonna make some moves here. We're gonna bring in, you know what I mean? We're gonna try to flip the roster for you so next year we can be more competitive and try to get you a new run at things. And I'm sure Dame said, Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, I'm I'm sure in that sense they did. You know what I mean? They weren't telling him necessarily they're gonna try to acquire and whatnot. But yeah, I like the moves for Portland for sure. Um the only the only reason I bring it up is because him and McCollum were very close. Mm-hmm. And they played together for a long time. And listen, they had a lot of success together. They went to at least one, if not two, Western Conference Finals one. together. Um, I won. Yeah, I think if like guys like Dane, they he shows you loyalty. I think he earns the right for him to be in the conversation. And, and like, listen, if you blindside him by trading away one of his best friends, that's what can piss people off. And that's just how I would operate if I was a GM. I've I've always thought if if your star player is loyal to you, get. And gives you everything you got. I think he deserves to have his opinion heard, whether you listen to him or not. I think his opinion deserves to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, though, listening to your opinion can lead you to a situation like the Lakers, where they could have, where they're going to trade, uh, trade with the Kings, you know, to acquire Buddy Heald, and I can't remember who the other player was. Instead, now they're stuck with Russell Westbrook. You know, so it go definitely Westbrook. is a two way street. <laughs> yeah, Russell Westbrook, who got benched in the fourth quarter yet again. Um, anyway, Ben, let's talk about the last trade that was made here. And that is the Indiana Pacers sending Karis LeVert to the Cleveland Cavaliers in return for Ricky Rubio and a first round pick and two second round picks as well. Um, Ben, I think we both like this trade. You want to tell me why you like it? Well, I mean, the Cavs have shown to be good all year and adding a guy like Karis LeVert, he's just been, I feel like really, do you remember where he went to college? Karis LeVert? Yeah, he, he went to Michigan. Michigan, he's been really good since he came into the league, just gotten better and better. Um, and he was the guy that battled – he battled, like, some scary injury. Didn't he have, like, a heart issue or mm-hmm. – Yeah, and so, listen, this, he's been really good. Um, the Cavs are really, really young. So, obviously, he's still young, but he's got a lot more experience than some of the guys in their team. Darius Garland, who is an all-star this year, finally emerged. They're doing all of this without Colin Sexton. I don't know. I've never understood how teams get better without without their star players. It just sometimes it happens, right? I mean, Karis LeVert's a great ad because the Cavs. What are they fourth or I think they're fourth in the East right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, 
why would you not go all in if you're Cleveland? Get, show the players that you believe in them. See how far they can go. Like I just said before, you have to learn how to win before you can win the big title, right? Mm-hmm. Cavs are getting valuable experience this year. They should be a, uh, you know, should finish top five, top six in the playoffs. They have a good chance to get out of the first round. I don't know how far they'll go after that, but they got a good, they got a good young roster. Yeah, I like the I like the move as well for the Cavs. Karis LeVert's a bucket getter, and you know they kind of need a guy like that. They don't really have one. They got a lot of decent young pieces. I mean, actually, what I was saying, not decent. They have a lot of good young pieces. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley are twin towers in the paint. A lot of teams are built like that now. He's been so good. Yeah, Darius Garland's that next up point guard. Remember, that was the guy Steph Curry said that he saw being the next great guy in the league, and everyone was like, "Is he?" And what do you know? Garland stepped up. He battled injuries when he's in college, so never really got to watch him like that. But um. Yeah, man, I think the Cavs are made the made the right decision here. Honestly, Lavert's definitely gonna help them get some buckets. Definitely makes their team better. I don't know if he's like the piece that makes them. It definitely doesn't make them the team to beat in the Eastern Conference or anything. But he definitely makes their team better. And when you need a bucket, Lavert can definitely get you one. And Darius Garland's proven he can get you one this year. And I, I've been so impressed with Evan Mobley. I mean, this mm-hmm. kid has come in and he's dominated the league. Very similar to what DeAndre Ayton has done. Yeah, absolutely. I would say Mobley's honestly better than Aiden. He's got a different skill set. He can pass and whatnot. He can't really sh- – Aiden's probably a little bit better of a shooter than he is, but he's definitely got the touch and whatnot, you know, unlike he does. Um, anyway, we'll talk more about NBA trades in the second half. Steve Nash doubled down on uh, not expecting James Harden to be traded by Thursday, as neither do I, but we'll save that for later on the podcast. Ben, let's talk about some NFL head coaching hires here, man. Let's talk about the first one. The Miami Dolphins hire 49ers offensive coordinator or offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel as their new head coach. Ben, you want to talk about this one first? Seems to be the the young buck that everyone's in love with, right? We've seen we've seen this before. I would say this: he's coached with a lot of respected coaches in the league so far. He went to Yale. Um, everywhere he's gone, the running game has been stellar, which is mm-hmm. great news for the Dolphins because I think they want to be a balanced team. And I think the final pieces for the Dolphins is because they kept their entire uh, defensive staff. They're not going to make any changes there. The final pieces is put as much draft uh, capital free agent money as you can into protecting two on that offensive line because they got some weapons outside. Devontae Parker, if he can stay healthy, Will Fuller will be back eventually next year mm-hmm. from a finger slash suspension. And then Jalen Waddle was one of the best rookie wide receivers we saw this year. So, uh, I mean, if this if this guy works out like everyone thinks he is, I'd say it's a home run hire. I'd say it's one of the more popular hires just because his press conferences are funny. He's a young guy. Um, he's got a he's got a pretty impressive resume as as a young coach. So we'll see. He's he's finally getting his chance. I think it's a good I think it's a good hire for the Dolphins. I think he kind of fits what they want to do at least. Yeah, anyone who's listening to this podcast, man, they know anytime somebody from the McVeigh, Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Tree gets hired as a head coach, I'm a fan instantly. That's how I feel with this one, too. Um, back to what you said, he's the, he was the running game coordinator for the 49ers, also an offensive coordinator, even though technically Shanahan calls all the plays. Um, kind of what you said, man, Tua, Tua has all the weapons around him. If he can get that run game going, Tua is the perfect game manager to make your team great. We saw what he could do when they actually got things rolling and got Miles Gaskin rolling. I think it's a home run hire as well. I'm interested to see what this team does, but I think he fits the culture. They're a young team with a lot of young studs. So 
I think bringing in the young head coach should fire them up and give this team the kick in the ass they need to get things in gear for this next season to make the playoffs. Um, another bit head Players coach. spoke highly of him. Yeah, that's all you I'm want sure too. Debo loves him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And anybody that players like a player coach like that, I think fits well with young guys and young culture. So that's always a good thing. Um, the other big head coaching hire that we wanted to talk about. What, what was the? I'm trying to think. What was? Oh, oh, oh! I remember the other one we're going to talk about. Other one we want to talk about is the Houston Texans hiring Lovey Smith. I'm going to start out on this one. Look, when me and Benbo saw this, we were like, what the hell is going on right now, guys? So I actually didn't have to do any research about this. I thought about it for a second. I haven't, I've read a couple articles and looked at a couple stuff today. I didn't see anybody really mention this. Texas just paid or paying $17 million to buy out David Coley. I couldn't find the exact number on Bill O'Brien's buyout, but I know for a fact Bill O'Brien's buyout was over was over $10 million. So that means they're basically paying uh, from what we know. I think it was closer to $20 million. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. I know for a fact they're paying over $20 million to somebody who's not coaching for their team this year. I think Lovey Smith, Smith is a one-year hire, a one-year thing to come in and coach him one more time. Let's be honest, guys. Texans still don't have a quarterback. They're not going to find their franchise quarterback probably in this draft. They might draft one and kind of do what they did with Davis Mills again this year, who actually seemed to play some decent football. Maybe he can be the permanent guy there in Houston. He's going to try to at least. I think the Texans know they're pretty far away. I mean, this team has shown – I mean, let's be honest. They're not exactly the most, you know, franchise that's going to spend the biggest money. You know, we never really have seen them spend that big time of money. I think they're still trying to recover and whatnot. I think what their plan is for this year is to tank it out, trade off to Sean Watson, have all those draft capital and assets, bring in the right head coach. Because, I mean, honestly, too, I feel like the right head coach for them was not even out there at this point. You know, I mean, like, do you really want to commit long term to somebody you don't think is the answer? I think they really felt like nobody's really the answer right now. And they want to kind of wait for next season and then really because, I mean, let's be honest. Even if that there was the best candidate, like Mike McDaniel, what's he going to choose? The Dolphins or the Texans? You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody out there that's really going to choose the Texans as their number. Like, the top candidate's not going there. So they're going to wait for next year when their job seems more appealing, when they have all this draft capital, and then they're going to go get their guy to build around. That's what I think's going on here. Love you, Smith. I'm, the official contract numbers haven't come out. If I had to guess, it's probably a $1 or $2 million deal. I mean, if that's the case, that's fine. We still have no idea what's happening with Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, if I was the Texans, I if they interviewed him, I, I would have hired Brian Flores. But I also don't think you hire Brian Flores to do a job how you described it, right? Like Brian Flores, you don't hire for one to two years to try and rebuild it. Yeah, Brian Flores, you bring in to build up from a losing team to a winning team. Did Brian Flores want to go yet. there? He interviewed for it. Did he say he would? Did he say if they offered though he would accept? Because I feel like there's a possibility he might not even accept it, and he would have said "f that." I'm just going to chill. His lawyer released a statement saying that how he's happy that the Texans did hire a black coach because that's what he's advocating for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were disappointed in the decision that he didn't get more of a chance or something like that. Okay, I don't know. Um, I think Brian Flores is a very good coach. I just think he's digging his own grave. I think the more he talks, listen, it's it's a really weird situation because what I think he's advocating for is needed, and I think it's it's necessary, and I think it's I think it's good. It's 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 good mm-hmm. to have uncomfortable conversations. The problem is you dig yourself a hole, uh, kind of like Kaepernick did, right? Mm-hmm. People were like, well, "Why isn't Kaepernick in the league?" He was fighting for something bigger than being a starting quarterback. I think Brian Flores is caught in the middle of trying to find a new job, but also hurting himself by getting a new job. Um, 
we'll see what happens with him. I mean, I'd like to see the Lovey Smith details before before I kind of react on this hire. Listen, he did take the Bears to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. No offense to Rex Grossman, but I wouldn't say anyone would think he's like a Super Bowl quarterback, right? I mean, yeah, the defense was good. I just, listen, Lovey Smith, he has had some really, really bad years. The late years of Chicago were not very good, and he failed miserably at Illinois in college. Like, he couldn't recruit at all. And it is Illinois, though. It is Illinois, but Brett Belima in year one at Illinois, which was not this past year, 2020, the COVID year, had a pretty solid year. And when you're an NFL coach and you have success in the NFL, recruiting should not be that difficult. Because a lot of college kids, you can just sell them on dream to get to the NFL. Well, Lovey Smith knows how to get, knows what it takes to get to the NFL a lot more than some other college coaches. Mm-hmm. And he struggled mightily. And we'll see. You don't have to recruit in the NFL. He does have a uh, a winning record in the NFL. I think he's like 92 and 90 in his career. Okay. He made a Super Bowl. He's just had some really bad years. And he, the Tampa Bay stint that he had was like one or two years long, but it, it was miserable in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, ben, if I had, if I gave you odds right now, it's plus it's, it's uh, at even money that Lovey Smith is the head coach next season in, here in Houston. What, which side would you take? Yes or no? Is, is this like after this, after this next season? Or if he's the coach going into 2022. If he's the coach of the football team, when that they you know in 2023, will he be their head coach? <sighs> I would, I would lean yes, and I would lean that that is his last year. I think wow. they give him two years because I don't think the Texans are are one year away from competing. It, well, it really depends, like, like what you said with Deshaun Watson. You, like, I mean, if, you, if Deshaun Watson gets hire someone, why, why are you going to hire someone for one year? And then when you have all this draft capital and like you actually get good, you're just going to fire him? Like, then he would, then why would he not sue the Texans? Well, he wouldn't be able to sue them necessarily. I mean, they could just fire him for doing a shitty job because I'm sure the Texans are going to win like three or four games again this year, you know? I mean, I, see, the thing that I think is going to happen... I don't even think Belichick can turn them around in one year, though. No, not at all. There's no yeah. chance. Like, see, I, I feel like with the Texans, it all comes down to, like, what you said with Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson's eligible to play and you can trade him, I mean, Deshaun Watson's going to be worth two first-round picks. Somebody's going to pay up for it, whether it's Denver, whether it was any of these teams who think they're one player or think they're an, an elite quarterback, a top – because Deshaun Watson's a top-five quarterback, hands down, when he's actually playing. If any of these teams think they're a top-five quarterback away – I mean, they're going to pull a trigger on him in a heartbeat for two first-round picks and whatever that, and probably a second and a third, you know, and all that draft capital will be right there for him. So, I think I, I think I think it's yet to be determined. But let's put it this way: gun to my head, I'm saying he's not going to be the coach in Week One, 2023. Um, anything else you want to say on this before we move? No, I mean, I think uh, the the only other coaching hire that I do like a lot was well, there's two of them. Um, I like the Raiders. I think Damn. the Raiders hiring Josh McDaniels, I like that a lot. And they brought in Patrick Graham, who's the defensive coordinator, very highly respected from the Giants. I think they put together a pretty good coaching staff. And I think the Giants did a really good job. The Giants hired Brian Dable, who um, I, you know, I know from – he was the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. at Alabama. He was the offensive coordinator for the Bills. He's been in the NFL for a long, long time. And they just hired the old Ravens defensive coordinator. Um, and who'd they hire as the offensive coordinator? 
Is my Don Martin together? Is Don Martingale yeah. the defensive coordinator? Okay. They, they hired him yesterday, and I forget who the Giants hired him as an offensive coordinator, but it was it was someone that I thought was a good hire. I think the Giants put together a good staff. I think they're going to give Daniel Jones a fair chance at one more year to see what they have with him, and then if they move on, they move on. But I thought the Giants, at least, they, I think they're moving in a positive direction for the first time in some time because they're a team that has some – some bad ownership and when you have bad ownership it's hard to attract people i think they put together a good coaching staff yeah i agree with you completely on that i'd say josh mcdaniel is probably my favorite out of all of them um i think O'Connell, i like the jaguars hired too doug peterson I, I, I told you i told you that if i if, if you were a bad football team a really bad football team like the jags are your goal is to get like let's say the jags next year they should be aiming for anywhere between four to six wins mm-hmm. and then the next year try to get to, you know, seven to nine wins and then, you know, be a playoff team. If that's your goal, I would not hire a guy that's never been a head coach before. That's just not, that's not, that's Mm -hmm. just my opinion. If I was the GM and owner, that's not what would attract me. What would attract me is a coach that's been to a Super Bowl and has won a Super Bowl. And whether he called plays or not, he knows what it takes to build a winning culture. And I'll tell you this about Doug Peterson. Nick Foles, does Nick Foles look good anywhere other than Playing under Doug Peterson. Nope. Has Carson has Carson Wentz? Not really. Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz said it, he he had flashes in the pan in Indianapolis, but he also had a lot of shitty games, like the game versus the Jags. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate that one year under Doug Peterson before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. If there's anyone that's going to get the most out of Trevor Lawrence, a young quarterback, it's a guy that's had success with some quarterbacks who we don't even consider to be that good, like Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Well, people consider Trevor Lawrence to have all this talent. I'm not saying Byron Leftwich couldn't get it done. Byron Leftwich was a very good quarterback for the Jags. He's been a a quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator for the Bucs, which which obviously worked with Tom Brady. He probably would be a pretty good coach. I would just prefer Doug Peterson. You know he can do it because he's already won a Super Bowl as a head coach before. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head exactly. At first, when I saw Doug Peterson, I didn't like it. Then I thought about it more from the perspective. I think it was you who was just saying to me why you liked it, and I also was thinking about it more. I was like, you know what? Honestly, I don't know if they, that home run head coach was out there. So I think Doug Peterson probably is your best bet at this point. I mean, why not Listen, give it? Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians is an older coach. If he steps down, I'd say Byron Leftwich, if not Todd Bowles, is they're very prime candidates to be the head coach. Yeah, and the, the thing, too, about Doug Peterson I like is the fact that Doug Peterson is very outspoken. You know, I feel like that Doug Peterson is the kind of guy who's going to take up for his team and really be a leader in the locker room. I don't know if I necessarily saw that from Urban Meyer. You know, he definitely didn't lead by his actions, oh, that's no. for damn sure. And I think he'll at least be able to come in there and get a hold of the locker room and bring some professionalism. So I like it, I like it from that perspective, too. I think Jacksonville needs a culture change, and I think Doug Peterson's at least going to bring in a culture that can change it. For sure. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's get let's talk about the Super Bowl here a little bit, Ben. We really hadn't talked about it that much since last week. Let's talk about this game a little bit, man. So, obviously, guys, look, me and Ben already know who we're betting on in this game, but we're not going to tell you all that. We're going to make you all listen to another podcast in order to hear about all that stuff. Um, anyway, though, Ben, let's talk about the game for a little bit. First of all, I mean, what, at what point? So, obviously, Ben and I both picked the Rams before the season started to get here in the NFC. Ben, at what point in the season? Did you think the Rams were a legitimate Super Bowl contender and would come to the Super Bowl? I honestly, I think it's when they made the trades. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I thought bringing Odell in and a guy like Von Miller. Von Miller is a guy who has already been in Super Bowl MVP before. He's played in a lot of playoff games. I thought that's what they needed, right? Mm-hmm. You add to the defensive line with Von Miller, well, that takes away a double team, if not a triple team, from Aaron Donald every single play. Leonard Floyd, if he's getting uh, one-on-one pass protection every time, he's proven to be a very good pass rusher. I just think in, in Odell, obviously they brought in Odell when they still had Robert Woods. I, I believe Robert Woods wasn't hurt yet. Odell's been able to shine, and I've said it on a couple podcasts ago. Odell, he's he looks like he's playing free. He looks like he loves football again. Mm-hmm. And he's showing what he showed when he first came to leave with the Giants, and he's playing great, great football. The Rams had a good offensive line when they brought in Stafford, which we thought would help Stafford, obviously, because Detroit never gave him anything. Um, we didn't know if they would be able to run the football without Cam Akers for a lot of the season because, obviously, he had torn his Achilles. They were able to run the football this year. The only negative thing about the Rams was that Stafford threw a million interceptions. Yep. And in the playoffs, he's he's taking care of the football. I think he's only thrown one interception in the playoffs. Probably should have thrown two because the 49ers dropped one uh, or you know dropped the potential interception. But Stafford's playing good football. McVay's calling the plays. Their defense is doing what the defense is doing. I think when they got Von Miller and they brought in OBJ, they had so much star power. And it just reminds you of like what the you know what people think of the Yankees, right? Or like when you think of like New York and California money, we're gonna we're gonna buy our way to a championship. What we see the Dodgers kind of try and do. The Rams are there and they bought their way to a champ- they bought their way to a Super Bowl appearance by going out and trading for Von Miller and for getting uh, Odell Beckham, and for paying Stafford. It's worked out for them so far. Yeah, so I would say, so I agree with you. I think that making the trades, getting Stafford, Odell, and Von Miller is what got them here to this point. I'm going to tell it, so I'm going to kind of answer this question two ways. First of all, uh, this is this is kind of it sounds kind of dumb, but this is the best way I can say it. Look, I said I thought the Rams were frauds. I said I thought everyone in the NFC was frauds, and that's why I thought Kyle Shanahan and his elite coaching would get them through to the to the Super Bowl. Ultimately, Sean McVay though is just as good of a coach, and that's what ended up. I mean, it ended up getting them through with Sean McVay and the Rams. Um, I would I, so I'll also tell you guys this. Look, Vegas told us this a while back that the Rams are going to come to the Super Bowl, and you know when they told us that then. They told us that. Say it again. Said Vegas actually oh, yeah, kind of told us that they thought the Rams were going to go to the Super Bowl, and you know when they did that? Huh. So it, odds. It, no, no, not it didn't have anything to do with season odds. Is actually so the Rams get smoked by the 49ers on Monday Night Football, thirty-one to ten. Then they have a bye week. Then they play the at Green Bay on Sunday. They ended up losing that game. But if you, I don't know if you recall or not, that was the week when Aaron Rodgers' pinky toe news came out, and the Rams actually ended up being the favorite in this game. You come off a bye week after getting your ass beat. This is your third week, essentially, of having Odell Beckham, your third week of having Vaughn Miller on the team, and you're favored in against the best team in the NFC. You know, we both looked – I remember on a podcast, we were like, this line doesn't make any sense here. Now the line kind of makes sense. You know, Vegas told us that they thought they were the better team here. I would say for me when I actually thought the Rams were real, was legitimately this good was when they proved it to me and they beat Tampa Bay. 
The Rams did beat Tampa Bay once earlier in the season, but I'm saying when they proved it to me in the playoffs is when I actually believed it. I did not believe in the Rams at all. I knew obviously a lot of people liked them and whatnot. I knew there was kind of something fishy with all that, but I just, I mean, yeah, they beat the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals look like they didn't want to be there. And let's be honest, this team was not the same team without DeAndre Hopkins. Me and Ben had a lengthy conversation day over text about how good DeAndre Hopkins is and how much of a game changer he is. The Rams ultimately got here when they proved it and proved that they could beat Tom Brady. I think getting him out of the way was huge, and they're able to overcome that humongous lead against the 49ers as well and get here into the Super Bowl. Now let's talk about this from the next part here, Ben. They have a lot of star power. They have a lot of star power on both sides of the football. Yeah, what do you think is going to be end up? I mean, think about this too. They lost Bo- a great nickname, Bobby Trees, for the season, and they still got here. They're probably not going to have Tyler Higby. Actually, is Tyler Higby officially ruled <laughs> out? I think he is. Um, I haven't, I haven't looked at the injury report just yet, honestly, for the Super Bowl. Okay. Well, regardless if Tyler Higby's in or, in or out in this game, what do you think is going to end up being the key for the Rams to win this game? I mean, it's pretty simple, but go, getting after Joe Burrow. Um, okay. People know that the Bengals' weakness is protecting Burrow. People know that the strength of the Rams' defense is getting after the quarterback, even if they only blitz four. I also think uh, winning the turnover battle. As I mentioned before, Stafford led the league in interceptions. He also led the league in pick sixes. And Mm -hmm. the Bengals have been able to win the turnover battle so far in the playoffs. They won it against Mahomes, which was a huge win against them. And uh, and, um, Tennessee. They won it against the Titans. I I couldn't think of who they were. Obviously, they gave up nine sacks against the Titans. But they were able to turn Ryan Tannehill over. And listen, I've said it all year with the Rams offense, establish the run because the more they establish the run, and I know that Akers is kind of dealing with shoulder injury, but the more they establish the run, the better their play action game is. And Stafford has been one of the better play action guys for a long time in this league, especially with this deep ball. Establish the run, get after Burrow, and I think those are the keys for the Rams. Yeah, look – Obviously, getting after the quarterback is going to be a key. At the same time, though, I don't know how crucial it is because the Titans did get at, get sack him nine times and still lost the game. I'm going to kind of go with something else he said here. Look, Tyler Higby, also, when McVay was asked whether he was going to be able to practice or not, he said, I don't think so. That was seven hours ago. So McVay said seven hours ago he didn't think Higby's going to practice. Odds are Higby's probably not going to play, and if he does, he'll be ineffective. Look, obviously, I think Stafford needs to take care of the football because, like you said, he leads the NFL in pick sixes. And the Rams the Rams are actually the top yardage team in the league when they have the ball. Like, this team gets a ton of yards. Might be a little hint to one of my props I take. But anyway, I think Van Jefferson is the key to this game. Look, you can say it's Cooper Cup. You can say it's Odell. I think Van Jefferson, man, Van Jefferson's able to hurt them and make them have to think about, you know what I mean? Like, if he's able to make them know, like, look, we have to cover this guy or else he's going to hurt us, that just makes Cooper Cup, and that makes Odell Beckham even more unstoppable. I think Van Jefferson's going to be the key player in this game. If he can break loose and get a couple big plays or even just have one big time, you know, like 40, 50-yard catch where he flips the field for the Rams, I think he's going to end up being the key guy in this game, and he'll be the key to their success if they can unleash him on them and make the, and make the Bengals have to think about him because if they're thinking about him that's time they're not thinking about those other guys and that's how they're going to hurt them so I think that's the key for them for the game flip side of things Ben let's talk about Cincinnati what do you think was the biggest thing that got Cincinnati here and when did you actually think they had a chance of getting here because I mean let's be honest we never thought they had a chance of getting here but when would you say that they proved that they had a chance of getting here uh finals 
when they got the interception in overtime against the Chiefs. I, I think that's <laughs> my answer, honestly. Um, listen, they obviously on the flip side for what I said about the Rams, they have to protect Burrow. I know the Titans, they didn't protect Burrow and they still won the game, but the Titans are not the Rams. The Titans offense is not the Rams, right? The Rams, you give them a short field, they're going to take advantage. And plus McVay actually goes for the ball on fourth and short if they need to. And Vrabel just panics. Um, I, they got to protect the deep ball and they have to get the deep ball. So Jalen Ramsey has been able to, he's been a little susceptible for a deep ball. Mike Evans burned him a couple times and they got the best deep ball threat in the NFL this year. Jamar Chase has the most touchdowns over 20 or more yards this year. They have to connect on that. But they also, they got, they got to find some balance, right? Because they're not great at stopping the run, but they have the ability to run the football. They're just not great at running the football. But Joe Mixon has got to get his touches in this game. I don't care if you throw, if you, you know, throw him, uh, you know, screens. Mm-hmm. You got to get your best playmakers the ball, and it's not going to be Burrow throwing the ball sixty times, even though they're very capable of doing that. Find a balance because everyone's going to have nerves in this game. I don't, I don't think, even though Burrow doesn't seem like a rookie, I just think if it's if it's Stafford versus Burrow, like really McVay versus, uh, I think Zach Taylor calls the place. I just I trust the Rams more, even though they're technically the away team in this game. They're playing in their home stadium. They're going to have the fan advantage, you would think, um, just because tickets are so expensive. If you're an L.A. resident, you could probably afford a ticket a lot more than a Cincinnati resident. I just think they have to protect the deep ball, hit the deep ball, and protect Burrow as much as possible because he'll just – he can let it fly, but you got to give him time. He cannot be running for his life for four quarters against Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd. Yeah, I mean, I'd say you definitely hit the nails on the head. I don't want to repeat anything you said. I mean, like you said, man, Joe Burrow could not be running for his life from those guys. That's not something you see in your in your nightmares. Even that, what's that white ta- D-tackle D- they have his name, like Allen or something like that? He's kind of a beast, too. You know who I'm talking about, number 91? From the, yeah, I don't think it's Allen. I, can, yeah, I always I forget his name, but he's, I mean, listen, he gets one-on-one every single time. Yeah, he can win them too. Like he was kind of a menace in that 49ers game. He had a big time sack. I remember on Jimmy G look, I, I did, I did a, in my, my little bit of free time I had today at work. I tried to pick through the Bengals schedule and think about, and like really, really think about when that I thought that this team was actually legit. And look, when this team I actually thought was legit, was after that they look they smacked everyone in their division like the Bengals like I remember so I listen to sports this one podcast a lot and they talked about how the Ravens like to bully teams in their division and the Bengals absolutely bullied the Ravens and the Steelers they've been bullied by them like Joe Burrow and them even had comments after they ran the score up on those teams and basically said like what comes around goes around pretty much like they were acting all cocky and everything after winning those games look when the when did the Bengals I think actually were legit it's really tough to say because I mean, like, look at this. Like they, the, so the Bengals win forty-one to ten against Pittsburgh after coming off a huge win in Las Vegas where they beat the Raiders. Then they lose the Chargers at home. Then they lose the 49ers. and they barely beat the Broncos in a terrible game. Then they beat the crap out of the Ravens. I think that you think when they actually bought in on themselves, it was when they came back and beat the Chiefs. I think when Jamar Chase made all those crazy catches, it was kind of like, look, the Bengals got here. 
and we kind of forgot about how good Jamar Chase was. Jamar Chase went back from being like a, he was the underdog to win rookie of the year again. He went to an overwhelmingly favorite to win rookie of the year after that game was over. I think that's when the Bengals reminded themselves that they were that good was when they beat Kansas City, and they weren't scared and didn't back down the second time. They saw it as the exact same game they saw the first time, and I think that's where they got the confidence level from. I think if they had – look, they won the division off of winning that game, but I think if they don't beat, can't beat Kansas City in that regular season game and come back and win in the jungle, I don't think they ever buy into themselves as being this team. I think that was the momentum shifter, and I think that's what gave the team the momentum and got them here at this point in the season. What do I think the Bengals' key to victory is? You know what? I try to go away from picking the obvious star player, but I think we have to pick the obvious star player here. Enforce Jamar Chase's will on Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is going to try to take Jamar Chase out of this game. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd are good and all. At the end of the day, Jamar Chase can make those catches that no one else can. Him and DeAndre Hopkins are the only players in the NFL capable of making it. Throw it in his radius, throw him some 50-50 balls, and let him go make that play in one-on-one coverage and own Jalen Ramsey. If he can do that, Jalen Ramsey likes to talk. He's a big intimidation guy. I really feel like Jalen Ramsey likes to intimidate the other team and get in their head. If you can do the flip side to Jalen Ramsey and get in his head and intimidate him, I think you have a serious advantage. I think Jamar Chase has to be unleashed all over them. I think that's the most key matchup besides – I'd say the next most key is probably their cornerbacks versus the Rams wide receivers. If they can somehow limit Odell and Cooper Cup, they'll be fine. But I think it's got to be Jamar Chase, man. Jamar Chase has got to come out here and be – you know, I mean, he can't – Jamar Chase can't disappear. He's got to come out here and be the Jamar Chase he is and have a humongous game if Cincinnati expects to win this one. Like Joe Burrow said when he went into Kansas City, same thing goes for Jamar Chase. They've played in so many big games. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they – this like I mean, obviously the Super Bowl is the brightest stage in all of, in all of football, <clears throat> but these guys will be ready to go. Like th- this is this is where they shine. They shine the brightest in the biggest games. I think Jamar Chase is welcoming a matchup with Jalen Ramsey, and Ramsey doesn't even uh, like he's not going to be on him whole, the whole game because I don't think he he doesn't he he's been guarding different people all game. So listen, Tyler Boyd, I saw his stat. He's never dropped. He hasn't dropped a pass in the slot all season that's key in the Super Bowl you cannot have easy drops in the Super Bowl especially early on if throws are setting in T Higgins I was wrong on him because I picked Tyler Boyd uh, to have a bigger game against the Chiefs and T Higgins was huge in that game so it's not all Jamar Chase obviously your best players need to shine you need to lean on them but the Bengals have so much help and it seems like their tight end uh, um, CJ Uzama Uzama, he he ripped off his cast before they left Cincinnati. He had a cast on stage and he ripped it off and threw it on the midfield. The crowd went crazy. He was like, "Did you think I was going to miss the biggest game of my life?" Like, so he's blind. Like, it's crazy. This team has so many weapons, and uh, I mean, I agree with you. They have to lean on Chase, but it's not all on Chase. But you're right. 50-50 balls. Listen, if he's one on one in the end zone it's going to him every single time it's the same thing with cooper cup and odell beckham if they're one-on-one which cooper cup never is but if odell's one-on-one they're most likely throwing a fade to him the same thing to jamar chase yep and we saw both those guys score touchdowns off off it in their conference championship games um last thing before we go to storylines real quick ben um in the uh shit i forgot my train of oh i remember my train of thought now so ben i think one thing that i know that both of us we were kind of like on draft night, when the T. Higgins was taken in the second round by the Bengals, we were like, they could have used an offensive lineman there. When they took Jamar Chase over P. Sewell, we both said they could have used an offensive lineman there. 
Whoever this GM is for the Bengals, he's a freaking genius. He also let Carl Lawson walk and brought in Trey Henderson, who I believe is one of the top five sack guys in the NFL. So clearly yeah, the this most guy, pressures in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Clearly this guy knows what the hell he's doing. Whoever their GM is, people, they might want to lock him up permanently, man. This guy knows what the hell he's doing. Um, ben, real quickly here. Let's just give a quick storyline for for you know that kind of sums up each season team season slash this game if this team wins. I think the biggest storyline for the Rams if they win this game will be Sean McVay gets a QB that's worth a damn and wins his first ring. What do you think? I agree with that. Um, I you know I don't I don't mean this like in a negative way, but I think money well spent would would be a headline. They spent money to go get Matthew Stafford. They spent money to get Von Miller. Um, actually they really didn't because I think the Broncos are paying his contract. Um, I just think it's money well spent. I think that's a great headline for the Rams, right? Hollywood, Hollywood stars shine brightest on the, on the brightest stage. I think it's another one. Stafford's been, he's been, even though he's played in Detroit, which is where I say athletes dreams go to die. Like (laughs) people always considered him as a very good quarterback. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also, too, I, I didn't even think about this, but also, too, you know, we could say this is really the first, like, f- free agency built NFL team, you know? Like, this team, d- d- like, most teams emphasize draft picks and drafting and building teams through the draft. I mean, that's how it's always been in football. You build your teams through the draft, you maybe get, like, one addition as a free agent, you know what I mean? This team's built per- completely through star power and free agency. You don't see that a lot in the NFL, so I think that would be huge as well. Didn't even think about it from that perspective of Did things. you hear that? I guess I didn't hear the Bengals one, but did you hear the uh, that Zach Taylor like in an interview resurfaced and he was like, "I know the record doesn't show it, but like, trust me, I believe in what we're doing here." And obviously, he didn't have Joe Burrow on his team just yeah. yet when he said that. But you were saying you need to lock up the GM. You might want to lock both of them up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach Taylor's definitely getting locked up. Yeah, for my bit, for my Bengals headline here, I would just say it's Big Game Joe, man. Joe Burrow yeah. is just he he gets bigger. <laughs> Joe Burrow honestly got Ben. Y'all see what y'all see, hear my re- rationale for my bet, but look, Joe Burrow might be that next Tom Brady type guy. Like he might be that dude. When it comes to big games, he just gets bigger and bigger in the moment. You see Aaron Rodgers, he crumbles in the big moment. Joe Burrow, he embraces it and makes the most spectacular plays you see him make. The fact that he broke away from Christian Jones with a hurt knee and ran from first down. I mean, this guy's a freak. He is a freak. And that, you know, I think the Brady comparison, obviously nobody should, should be compared to Brady, but, it's the fact that like they're not known to be athletic guys, but the way they move in the pocket is sensational. Like they, mm-hmm. they get out of pressure without any speed, which is very, very rare for today's game of football. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that one. Ben, anything else on the Super Bowl before we uh before we uh, switch back to NBA real fast and then get out of here? No, I think we'll cover everything else on Thursday. Yeah, I'm excited, guys, to cover cover it on Thursday. Ben, we've been going on and on here for a few minutes, so we'll try to keep our NBA talk short, quick and short here real quick. Um, Honestly, we can bump the Bradley Beal talk because he's probably not going to get traded at this point until we'll save that for Thursday when we have a little bit more time. Obviously, guys, y'all know who my favorite player is from listening to this podcast or one of my favorite players, and that would be James Harden. his name has been thrown up in the air a lot here recently with being in, in trade talk for Ben Simmons. Ben, let's talk a little bit about what the hell is going on here and if James Harden's going to be traded. My first thing I'm going to say here, guys, is I personally don't think James Harden's going to get traded. Everybody from the Brooklyn camp is saying that they don't want to trade him. 
obviously everyone from the Philadelphia camp is praying that they end up trading him here. Cause I mean, of course, Philadelphia wants to acquire James Harden. You know, that's an absolutely no brainer here. I personally don't think James Harden is going to get traded because one, I mean, plugging in Ben Simmons, I don't think is the fix that the Nets need here, but two, I think the Nets want to figure it out. Yeah, they could potentially lose James Harden in free agency, but at the same time, you win a championship, James Harden's going to be satisfied and want to stick around. I mean, James Harden probably doesn't isn't necessarily happy with what's going on, but how could you be happy with what's going on? It sucks and not having Kyrie Irving in there. You know what I mean? You're playing with a different lineup, basically, when you're playing home and away games. That's got to be frustrating. All the noise from the outside has got to be frustrating. I mean, the COVID mandates up in New York and New Jersey also have to be frustrating. I can definitely understand James Harden's frustration. The one thing it's not going to, to have him frustrated and that is winning a championship i think you got to make james harden happy keep him around there you don't want to see him leave i think winning a championship keeps him happy i think the nets will be fine i think they need to hang on to him and block out all this outside noise it seems to be coming from the outside not from the inside you know i mean you don't hear it from the direct source all you hear it is from people around i just think it's ridiculous noise and people trying to stir up rumors i don't i think we're reading into it too much season you have to finish going all in on the season that's it's as simple as that for me because even if they're not playing good ball now you're not winning a championship without him because you have no idea if Kyrie can even play and Kevin Durant when he's eventually back is not winning a title by himself because we know you can't do it by yourself um so you have to you have to keep him for this season you know players numbers are down this season shooting wise i just don't know i don't know if he's good enough to win a championship as as the guy like and i get it like the one year i will give him an exception because i, I do believe they probably would have won it with even if chris paul got hurt in game yeah. six yeah game six you got hurt they probably would have won it that year but that's a hypothetical and you know i don't like hypotheticals so i'll leave it at that it's just Listen, he's a, he's a phenomenal player. He puts up unbelievable individual numbers. And I think him and Embiid would be just an unbelievable duo. There's just some guys that just – they just can't do it. And he might be on that list. Now, he is 100% a one on a team. He's good enough to be the best player and to get his team far. I don't know if he's good enough to win it by himself. I mean, like, you know, not by himself because I just said no one can. But we've seen him come up short a lot. and. Mm-hmm. He's getting older. His shooting percentage for the first time in his career has gone way down. I mean, I think he's shooting like 37% from threes and 40-something percent from the field, which is so weird for him. Maybe that's because he's not happy. Maybe that's because he uh, doesn't have the ball in his hands as much when Kyrie does play. I don't know what it is. I, I personally think there's something deeper issue-wise with the Nets. And listen, they put a lot of money into Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. And they have no bench. Like, Patty Mills is a great player. Uh, Blake Griffin is still somewhat solid. But, I mean, they really have just mm-hmm. nobody on their bench. And that's the difference between this year's team and last year's team. Yeah, they're also supposed to be getting Joe Harris back. He's been out for a little while with a, with an injury, you know. I mean, Nick Claxton, I mean, he is what he is just because James Harden. Look, James Harden's numbers have definitely dropped off. I think that's because he's definitely taken a back seat to guys like Kevin Durant and guys like Kyrie Irving. You know, somebody has to take the back seat, and James Harden seemed to be the guy. Like, I don't know if you remember or not, last year, he was the NBA leader in assists because he was getting all his other guys involved, you know. Like, 
James Harden's basically taking it upon himself to take the seat behind him. And I think that's been tough for him. You know what I mean? Like the way he plays, he's a very high usage player and whatnot. And I think that he's really tried to take a back seat to them and get other people involved. So I think that is a good thing. Obviously, you know, there is some of the diva stuff lingering from him forcing his way out of Houston and not wanting to be there. But at the same time, you really can't blame him. Like he didn't want to rot and waste the rest of his career on the team. At the end of the day, you're judged off winning championships. His one championship, Chris Paul ended up getting hurt. I mean, he had to go against the best team we've seen since the Showtime Bulls, you know, like, Literally the best team we've had to see since the Jordan Bulls. James Harden had to go through them. That was the Golden State Warriors, you know. So I personally don't think you can fault him really for any of that stuff. I just think it's a tough situation, man. I think he wants to be here. I think the Nets are going to figure things out. And I think the Nets should still be up there as one of the title favorites. I think once they get Durant back there and they get things rolling to the playoffs, I think this Nets team will be just as good. I just think they have to get Durant back. I really think, you know, a lot of this is just noise coming from the outside. I think it's people, you know, just really just trying to stick their finger in the pot, you know, and mix things up and try to create extra noise. I don't think Harden wants his way out of there at all. I think he's committed to the team and he wants to be there and he wants to win, you know. I mean, he's he proved it last year he wanted to win. I think he wants to this year. Now, if they don't win this year, I think he's definitely open to exploring his free agency options. And I think that's what a lot of the noise is from, you know, is because that he said that he wants to explore his free agency. You know, when you think about it, though, he was traded to Houston. Yeah, he stayed in Houston for a while because he thought they could win a championship. Yeah, he's been in Brooklyn here. But I think at the end of the day, once he's a free agent again, you know, he's going to test the waters again and see what's up, what all is out there. If they win a championship, though, he'll be back. It's just like the same thing with the Buccaneers, you know, and all these guys who came back. Everybody came back because you won a championship. When you win a championship, everyone's down to take pay cut and whatnot. When you don't win a championship, then all these mouths want to get feeded and want to get fed, and they want their money, and they want to be paid and noticed accordingly. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't think – I think it was appropriate, the backlash he was getting in Houston, just because I don't think he handled it very properly. But him leaving Brooklyn after the season, I listen, there's one guy to blame, and everyone knows who that is. It's the guy who thinks the earth is flat. It's the guy who, <laughs> listen, I, yep. I, I don't care what your vaccination status is. At the end of the day, what he's doing is selfish, and that's bottom line. His team needs him to play, and he has barely played this year, and that's the bottom line. I'll leave it at that. And yeah. I think his selfishness is rubbing off on Harden. I don't think Harden likes him very much. He might like him as a person. He might like him off, off the court and everything. They might be boys, but playing with him, I think it's, I think it's been a struggle. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And at the end of the day, you know, that's a Kyrie Irving thing, not a James Harden thing, you know. So at the end of the day, you also can't blame him for being frustrated with that. Who wouldn't be frustrated with that? I would. That's for damn sure. It's one thing if it's your eighth man on the bench, but it's another thing if it's the guy who probably has the ball in his hands, the second or third most on the team, you know. So it's your starting point guard that's that's hit a shot to win an NBA championship. Exactly. We all know which we all know Harden needs help with since his past playoff performances are not the prettiest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, Ben, I think we've gone on long enough for today. Anything else you think we need to talk about before we get up out of here? No, you know what? You mentioned earlier that I think we both know who we're going with the Super Bowl. I still don't know. Okay. And I it's it's crazy. I, I do have some props that I that I that I've been looking into researching mm-hmm. and I do have a couple that I do like, but dude, the the side in this is is giving me headaches, it's giving me fits. Part of me wants to just Fade the public in a big game, plus fading the public gets you on Joe Burrow's side at the moment. Because uh, I think I saw 57% of the bets right now are on the Rams. But part really? of me can't get over – I thought I saw that earlier. Part of okay. me we'll, – we'll talk We'll talk about that on Thursday. We'll break down the public side and everything. Yeah, I'll actually, me tell, well, I'll actually also tell you guys on Thursday why I don't think any of that stuff matters. 
Okay. Well, then I'm going to wait till Thursday. I will have a decision by Thursday. Okay. I'm just not 100%. So I think I know what I want, but I'm just, I'm not sold. And so I need, I need a couple more days to decide. Yeah. You know, I've definitely been back and forth. I'm, let's put it this way. I'm 85% sure on what side I'm picking in this game. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for you guys. Anyway, we got you covered on Thursday. Yeah, guys, trust me, guys. We got y'all covered with everything. I'm not going to lie. I only have one prop bet so far, but I'm going to have plenty of y'all by the showtime. I'll even have some dumb ones, which they're just like 50-50 props. I always take at least one of them. Usually I do the coin toss. and I'll do one other 50-50 prop as always. But anyway, guys, we appreciate everyone who tuned in today. It was another fun podcast, another great show. We covered a lot on today's show. We're going to have more NBA trade deadline talk if there's any more big-time trades. And we're also going to have our Super Bowl preview on Thursday. So appreciate everyone. Can't wait for y'all to tune in soon. And we'll talk to y'all again soon.